0: So, the big question uh, for our guest today, um, Adi Folger from Redis Labs, and we've also got Cassie Zimmerman from Redis Labs on as well. big question is about what's different about data as you modernize, thinking kind of modernizing monoliths to microservices, uh, but what's what's different as you kind of get into the data layer? Uh, obviously, like all the, the sort of the 12-factor principles don't really apply, and so know what do you do and what what are the challenges that are different what are the goals like the kind of why are you doing it at all
1: yeah that's that's a great place to start dorming. um i think really uh it's going to come down to a few different things um usually it's going to be some kind of response time driven or some kind of user experience driven initiative either uh you have some kind of competition that's pushing uh, a faster website load time or just a better user experience like I I had one experience uh, at my previous job where um, it was all about kind of the all-encompassing user experience and that was how we were losing they were just they were just beating us out on the on that whole multi-dimensional thing um, so ultimately you kind of have to get to a few different things right you need to evaluate how expensive the data accessing process is, both in the context of time as well as in context of dollars. Um, And then if you want to do some of the more personalization or some of the more advanced things that we're doing with data science today, you need to have a more sophisticated data architecture um, than what most companies have historically had. Um, And I think let's let's kind of just start out with with the 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 easier one, which is uh, things need to load faster, right? So I worked for a CTO who was part of his uh, his evaluation process was the website had to load in a second or less. Um, and that can be a, a really big challenge for a lot of a lot of companies because um, most people that are kind of getting into the industry today aren't really haven't really had the experience with performance. Minded uh, development. It's been a lot more like web web development, which is usually a lot more lenient when it comes to these sorts of things. Um, and then this is where kind of the the reddest part of the story comes in, right? So we 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 have a slide that we use all the time that shows like when you talk to the database, it's going to cost you 100 milliseconds. Um, the response time for the web layer is you know 50 milliseconds. Um, and all of that time adds up by using Redis for caching or as the operational data store, um, is how we've had several really, really large customers move beyond, um, this challenge. Right. And then on the, the personalization and the kind of data warehousing analytics side, um, being that front end high, high vol- highly volatile buffer, um, has helped drive a lot of other, uh, a lot of other initiatives as well.
2: Yeah. I, I want to add one thing on that, Audi, just taking a step back and looking at, you know, where the enterprises come from cloud native development. I know we were on a podcast with you guys or Audi was on a podcast with you guys months ago or maybe a year ago at this point. I'm losing my track of time. But um, we talked about, hey, we talk a lot about cloud native application development, but we're not so much talking about what's happening with the database there. And I think kind of from day one, it was very much state from stateless, kind of don't have your database running in with your application, keep it external in the monolith. And what we've experienced, and Adi can get into the specific customer examples of this, is people are realizing that you need to think about your database and what you're doing with your data from day one in order to have that instantaneous user experience. Um, whether you're in the financial industry or the retail industry or, you know, insurance, whatever it is. But being able to say, hey, we're not just going to keep our database in the back end, in the database, or excuse me, in the, um, in the basement somewhere. But we need something more flexible that can react in real time. And a lot of that comes from tools like Redis that can be implemented as you know, a cache for your microservices architecture um, or, you know, other NoSQL more flexible databases like MongoDB or, um, you know, MySQL and things of that sort. So kind of taking, you know, application development and and cloud native, um, uh, you know, features and and functionality or, you know, I guess that's the right word, um, but also thinking about what tools you need from the database perspective in order to get you there so that your applications are running the way that they should.
0: So uh, there's a couple, couple questions. So if we look at things like Adi, you mentioned, solving for faster load times is something that's different about uh, how you deal with data as you modernize. So are you saying that folks have had that kind of problem solved before? Like, as a in the in a monolith world they sort of had that solved but by modernizing no. they reintroduce it like why is this something that's different for modernizing no. as opposed to just hasn't making sure you have faster load times been a problem for as long as like internet commerce has been taking. yeah like making the, that, the that's stuff, been yeah. actually i mean um, for
1: your business well i i think I think there's a there's two parts to that answer. One is um, certain really big websites, the the Facebooks, the Googles of the world, have kind of set the standard for this performance. Um, And modern broadband internet is still kind of relatively new, if we think about it in the grand scheme of things. Like yes, we we've had. We've had internet and we've had fast internet for a while, but um, the whole notion of it has to be there now, right? Now, now, now. That's that's a little bit more kind of, you know, post-2010. Um, and I think why is because of a more customer-user-centric focus um, that's kind of been coming in and increasing in the industry. And this is, of course, you know, what you guys at Pivotal do all the time, right, Is is how do we... Think about things from the customer mindset, um, and and the customers don't want to wait. And so when you have competition or you have a, a standard out there of hey, this is expected to load this quickly, and I shouldn't have to wait for my data or for my experience, whatever that might be, um, it it just it they they they've, they've moved the goal or they they've set the the bar higher for everyone else. Uh, I that. I think that kind of gets at what, what you're getting at, right? But
2: I, I would like to add, I, I second what you said, Audie, and I think that user experience now in this digital world is like the most important interaction that your customers are going to have with your business. So it's not just you know your static website that your customers are going to, but it's your online banking um, that you're using from your mobile device, and it's tracking your shipping codes um, from your mobile device to see where your package is wherever in the world and this needs to happen instantaneously and that's a total shift in what businesses had to do even 10 years ago, right? So uh, the more that we move to digital, the, the faster that we expect it to do and the more competitive it is with uh, the, the enterprise landscape to, to get the customer experience there. So are we
0: modernizing because we need a better experience and better customer experience? And then that has data implications or are we, Modernizing and then that has performance implications that we have to go fix Thanks. I really kind of want you both to blurt out like an answer at the same yes, time it's, And it's not it's the, the
1: same, first like one, one in my opinion
2: I know, <laughs> Audie, Audie, what were you gonna say? I'll let you go first
1: <laughs> Chocolate, no uh, vanilla well, Yeah, no, the, I, I don't think I don't think people really go about hey, we need to modernize for the sake of modernization Um, it's, it's really, it's really usually driven by, like I said, competition or or customer demand. Um, Kathy, what do you, what do you think?
2: I would say the same thing. So I would say, um, the reason that performance has become so important isn't necessarily because, um, you know people want to just try new technology and and re-architect the way that they build applications. But um, the the internet giants today, right? Uber, Airbnb, Twitter, all of these, you know, very successful companies that were born in the cloud have set these expectations for users to um, be able to, you know, have real-time experiences, use it from anywhere, um, have global access, all of these different requirements that I think has gone into what cloud native means. And that's just because of the changing user requirements out there in the world. And that's why you see, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies having to say we need to increase the performance and improve the user experience for our customers in order to retain them. Um, so, you know, I think part of it is you want to make our business better every day and you do want to be at the forefront. But in general, as trends move you're going to need to re-architect the way that your database systems and the rest of your applications are running because of the demands from the market.
1: And I think too, um, there's another component that's more than just straight performance. It's also uptime, right? So in the same vein, you don't necessarily, uh, you, you need the website to load fast, but if it goes down, it can't be down for more than five minutes, right? And I think that piece is, is actually more intrinsically tied to the cloud native part of things um, because that's not just Redis or databases that's the entire application that's being able to do multi-cloud that's being able to do hybrid architectures right and this is this is of course what what TCF it, it helps enable people to do and so um, the fact that we can be bundled in with that concept that we can be a part of that platform. Um, I think it's helped the, these really big customers that we're talking about um, be able to to get over that hurdle and not only solve the performance problem and have a better user experience but also be able to solve the H a problem and the scaling problem and you know all of the other things that modern software has to be able to endure in order to be successful
2: and that's not going to come with one tool or one product, right? You're going to need a platform. You're going to need the infrastructure. You're going to need databases that are supporting that um, and a whole lot more. So it's important to look at the full picture, which we can talk about more.
1: So you mentioned something also earlier. uh, I might be mangling this, but I paraphrasing. You mentioned something about you need to evaluate the, essentially how you value your data and how you value access to the data. Can you expand, expand on that a little bit? What do you mean by that? I heard some statistics recently that we're we're creating like, uh, you know, some some ridiculously large amount of data every day, um, and and more and more importantly, especially if you look at kind of the the bigger conversation that we have going on in, in the U.S. and the rest of the world about uh, how how much our data. Uh, is is valuable, right? So mm-hmm. how we have all these big companies who are making a lot of money off of of things that people are willing to give off for free. so um let's let's kind of take that concept and look at it through an enterprise lens, right? you can you can generate all the data in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, if you don't know how to manage it, if you don't know how to serve it, um it's really just bits sitting on a hard drive somewhere, right? Um, and I think, there's a, there's a few different dimensions to that. Um, one is how does it fit into the nature of your products? Right. So, um, in, in the, the company that I, that was acquired by NBCU that I worked for, um, a big part of that was the database of all the movie information that we had gathered and all of the, the like low level tagging and, um, Kind of the the level of granularity that we were able to provide to that was um, was a big part of the value, um, and that that was sitting in a SQL database, and we figured out how to how to leverage it um, to ultimately drive things like SEO and 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 ultimately back to that user experience that is kind of the the key theme here. Um, but we're kind of the next phase of that thought is. Um, the larger translitical conversation, which is what we were having, you know, when I was on y'all's podcast last year um, around how do we get data out of the production system? How do we pre- use things like machine learning to provide insight um, and then ultimately make that data more valuable? And I don't think genuinely um, that most, most companies are really there yet. I think they've kind of, over the course of the last few years, kind of gotten a hint or a sniff that that's, that's a thing that they need to do. Um, I don't think most of them know how to do it. Um, but, but, for example, kind of the, the, tracking, the, the, the tracking example that Cassie cited before, that's a, that's a place where it works really, really well, right? So, like, if I can get a text message on a phone within seconds that my package is delivered, that's improving my life right um and and that's understanding the value of that little piece of data to that user and that's just a very small example of what i think we should well we will see uh more and more of going forward as companies continue to modernize Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i want to give one more example aside from you know the the shipping customer that we're talking about um but another way that we're kind of driving you know, data driven applications is in the financial industry with Pivotal. So fraud detection we've seen come up a lot as a use case in the financial vertical. And that's, I mean, think about it, you're in Europe, you get a text message from your credit card provider that says, Hey, we've identified fraudulent or abnormal activity on your credit card. And sometimes that's really irritating to us if it's not fraudulent, but if it is, then you're going to be pretty upset if somebody's in Frankfurt spending all of your money. Um, so having that real-time response and being able to say, hey, Cassie is not in Germany right now. She's in California. Um, we need to immediately alert her that something is, is going wrong. That's the type of application that needs to literally be able to process in sub-millisecond response times. So,
1: And, and right. to, to just go off of that, to add a, a very awesome, fine point, um, that's one of those performance-driven situations as well if you have to wait a minute for your credit card to be processed it's not going to be a good user experience so that's why three out of the four credit card companies use us to do that Getting back just for a minute to the valuing your data, uh, I mean, do you think we need to take this t- to the point where we're actually putting a dollar value on data, you know, looking at it like a, like we would an accounting issue? I mean, it seems a little squishy. Like, yeah, I can see it would be valuable yeah. to have, you know, that insight to that user. But I mean, you have to balance that on how much is it going to cost to do that and resources and time and energy and all that kind of thing.
0: Not to mention yeah. that's also potentially a liability, if you want to go down that That's exactly is. where my
1: head, head went, Armand, yeah. Um, I, I think it's a very good question and a very good point. Um, and this is kind of why I think it's been very difficult for companies to to, to move forward in, in this case. Um, and, and, you know, it, it has a certain amount of value, right? You can There's an easy way to frame it. If all of that data got, was released publicly tomorrow... How, how damaging could that be or, or how much value would your company have lost had that happened? Um, and if, if you don't have at least a ballpark figure in your head, if you think about it in that kind of most catastrophic scenario, then you, then you don't really understand the value of your data. Um, but more broadly, this really kind of falls into the product management um, and positioning kind of perspective. Every product out there that's being really successful today that I see has some component of leveraging the data that they that either they get from the user or that they're getting from, you know, third parties and providing to the user. Uh, and if you can't, if you don't have an answer for these questions and if you don't understand like what you can do with your data, then and in the long run, you're just going to be left behind.
0: Okay. So what are some of the, you mentioned that like most enterprises just aren't very good at this. Um, and you know, the, like the, the credit card fraud detection, I mean, totally get like, it's very valuable and it's, it's very, um, performance sensitive, but in many ways it's like, it's, it's an existing use case, right? Like credit card companies have always been in the business of trying to minimize their, you know, fraud exposure because they incur a lot of that. Yeah. But so if we step away from that kind of example, what are you seeing with the folks that you're working with in these modernization efforts where they're they're doing kind of the right things around how they then incorporate that data back into the products that they're building?
1: I, the immediate thought comes to mind if we talk about kind of the newer stuff is going to be in the IoT space. Um, and, and there's some really interesting things that we're doing um, around providing Tools for edge computing, um, and and ultimately, kind of the where I want to go with this, and it's not specific to IoT. It's going to be um, it's going to be the case for everyone, um, or at least any, anyone who wants to do some of these more personalization or data driven sort of things. Um, it, it it's it's going to be around AI, ML. And, and being able to serve insights quickly back to where you're getting the data from. So in the case of IoT, it's being able to serve that on the edge, on a Raspberry Pi, and this is something that we're, we have tools that we're, we have, that are gonna be released um, here pretty soon. Uh, probably around the time this podcast actually comes out, so that might be a cool thing. Uh, but yeah, anyway. Uh, being able to serve these, these AI models on the edge, um, being able to get the insights back to the user in real time, I think that's the next phase of that. Um, and, and we don't have a whole lot of people who really are kind of there yet. Um, so being able to, in the short term, or, or bridging that gap is, is just starting to understand what kinds of insights could you get out of your data. Right. So, for example, um, going back to kind of that movie data uh, that I was talking about, being able to do recommendations with that, being able to do something similar to like what you see on all of the video on demand services of, hey, uh, you like this movie, so therefore you might like this movie. How how could you do something like that with your customer data, right? And and maybe that fits in your business world, and maybe it doesn't. Um, but that Those are the kinds of questions and, and the things that like data scientists are really kind of getting paid all those great dollars to be able to figure out.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point, Adi. And I to your point, Dormain, in the financial vertical, fraud detection will always be a top use case, right? But as we're getting into these entirely new industries and working with use cases that we've never seen before, the business values that they're going to get out of that are still kind of unknown, right? They don't have personal profiles for all of their users and um, you know what Cassie does on a day-to-day basis on her credit card and how to identify fraud with an IoT company, um, you're gonna be tracking millions and millions of devices globally um, and, and using that for a totally different outcome. So I don't know if we're there yet and we've been able to see that in a real life scenario, but we're at least having really interesting conversations when it comes to the IoT, IoT space um, and really, even other use cases in the
1: financial vertical as well.
2: And retail when it comes to recommendations. Um Well, I guess just to like tie kind of to tie this all back
0: to the modernization efforts, right? That was the the question at hand. Um, and so, you know, Cassie, you had some really interesting points about, you know geodistribution, uh, both from a governance and compliance perspective, but this is also something that, you know, folks, as they modernize, are also taking into consideration: is you know, how are we? We're now moving away from a monolith. We're going to have much more distributed applications. We can potentially um, run this across multiple clouds. We can run it in you know multiple geographies and serve users uh, globally in a more um, you know you can, folks can get a more low latency experience if they're they're actually accessing a um, instance of the application running much closer to them. So, um, that kind of, you know, thinking about that, the modernization work to go into that, is that something that you're seeing a lot of folks as they modernize, um, they're starting to think about that, that geographic distribution?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would, I would argue that, those geo distributed architectures are coming up more and more in our customer conversations and not just on the whiteboard when we're at their offices, but in production as well. Um, and I'm sure that Audie will have some great points to make on this, but I think the work that little in that space is especially interesting because PCF is providing kind of that horizontal layer so that you can run hybrid cloud and you can have different foundations globally, but Aside from that, you also need a database that's going to be able to cross-replicate to be able to communicate uh, across the world um, in the same way that, I guess, PCF kind of is. And, and Redis Enterprise and Redis can provide that layer of data to run Redis clusters across the world and be able to replicate in either you know, an active-passive or an active-active type of replication model. Um, and those requirements i think are coming up more and more with customers as they are expanding their global footprint from a data center perspective and understanding the value of hybrid cloud and diversifying what their infrastructure looks like and data you know obviously will fall into that point at at some point when you're looking at how you need to pro- how you need to globally distribute your your databases as well
1: the concept of data governance across international borders is is the hardest part of all of this, right? So we have we have customers who can only host data in Germany or data in France, and and there's a lot of requirements around that. And certain data can leave the country, and certain certain data can't. Um, and as well um, with with our technology, as well as some of our some other databases out there. Um, the whole kind of standard model of active-passive is is starting to go the, the way of the dodo, right? Like active-active, when you have a platform, when you have multiple cloud providers or your own multiple data centers, is a lot cleaner of an architecture. And if you have the tools to be able to build it, um, then you're just going to make your life easier in the long run.
2: Yeah, and I, and on, to kind of snowball off of that, when you're looking at the developer experience to build those types of applications, you need the tools that are, I would say, easier to implement than than others. And I I think since Redis is already so well known in the developer community, we've spent years engineering this really robust architecture to be able to run your Redis clusters globally so that the interface from a developer perspective looks the same. So when they're writing their Redis applications and writing code, um, they don't have to worry about the ins and outs of a database in the back end and how to globally distribute your Redis clusters. Um, that's where our software comes in. And obviously, Pivotal tells that story, you know, very well that developers should be doing what they what they do best, which is uh, writing good software and writing good code. Um, and I think what we've the work that we've been doing at Redis Labs falls really good into that story of fast time to market and ease of use from a development standpoint, when we're talking about how do we get to these large-scale global applications.
0: So the other question that I had that, that cropped up was, you know, talking about the the kind of hybrid cloud and multi-cloud is um, also just, you know, there's a lot of, there's kind of this interesting quandary, I think, sometimes folks are in, comes up as they modernize it, can come up with, you know, building net new, you know, applications as well, but wanting to take advantage of native uh, services on the cloud providers and you know there's a lot of interesting you know machine learning services as well as just kind of raw basic whether it's caches or sequel or what have you um, and on the one hand like there's some great innovation happening um, in those services on the other hand there's a tremendous amount of like stickiness to now having your data sitting with that particular cloud provider and if it's in like uh you know a a sort of non-standard version of uh whatever type of database or or cache or um data warehouse or what have you now you know that's a sort of uh, a bit of a commitment to that cloud provider so how do you see folks navigating that in terms of well I want you know I'd love to have my data in the cloud I want it close to where I'm running my workloads which is I want those to run in the cloud um, but I'm I'm a little bit concerned about really marrying this data to a native cloud service or like I want to be able to mix and match right like how do you see people navigating that
1: so um, once upon a time I was part of a cloud forklift project and it was I was we're on it for like two years or something like that. And, and the one thing that kept us from really like doing a real cloud forklift was uh, our SQL server. Uh, we couldn't figure out how to get it up into the cloud. And, and we didn't even have the problem of like multi-cloud or anything like that. Um, so, so I think data as a whole has a lot of gravity. Um, and, and that's not exclusive to to cloud services, right? Like I think that it takes a lot of time and energy to, to build out a database, right? Um, whether it's Redis, whether it's SQL, or, or whomever else. Um, and and once you get it, you don't really wanna touch it, right? You want it to, it took a lot of time and effort to get to that point in the first place, let's just leave it as it is. Um, but to, to kind of get more to your core point there, I think in the earlier days of, of cloud forklifting and and the migration of the cloud of the big, bigger companies, um, we were seeing a lot more of just kind of, hey, let's just use that vendor service and, and it'll be easy. Um, but nowadays, especially the more sophisticated companies realize they can't do that. Um, they can't really do vendor lock-in to an individual cloud. Um, the nice thing about Redis even if you are using one of the cloud provided versions and or or like our uh, cloud managed service for example is that the protocol aspect of it is very portable um so we we've helped a lot of different companies migrate from one cloud to the other from on-prem into into cloud and and every every everywhere in between um, so it it's not as big of a problem with say like ours but if you look at um, you know, for example, like Dynamo, right? Dynamo is very easy to get started with, um, but then you kind of end up where you, you're very locked into it and it ends up being very costly, very quickly. Um, and and now you're stuck in that one cloud, right? So I think if anything, I don't have an answer for it, right? I think if anything, I have a cautionary tale of be careful. Uh, wherever you put your data, that's probably where it's going to go. And, I, and I'll do do my best to try to, to help you figure out what's the best way to distribute it. And this is where, um, you know, again, kind of the, the platform story the, uh, of PCF and that, that horizontal dimension um, is, is really important. Um, but yeah, I, I cannot recommend the opposite enough uh, to people in all of my conversations with, you know, the various big companies in the world I get to talk to.
2: Yeah, I I would echo that as well and when we're working with our customers who have already decided that they will take a hybrid approach, um, I think a lot of them recognize that buying a particular data service or other services from one particular cloud provider just won't make sense for the architecture that they've already decided on because they understand the advantages of going hybrid cloud and multi-cloud. And luckily today, customers have so many options when it comes to the ecosystem and cloud providers and platform players and services like Redis uh, have built up these ecosystems to work together. And I think that's one of the really cool things that Pivotal and Redis Labs does very well is making sure that wherever the customer wants to run, we can enable them to do so. And we're not gonna lock them into running on X, Y, or Z, Cloud or platform, it's it's what they want to do, and you know people like Audi and other solutions architects at our company can help guide them for what we think is the best option there. Um, but having that conversation with the customer is key to understand what they're trying to get to, what their requirements are, and if if the outcome of that is going with you know a cloud service provider, then that's fine. But if your requirements really do require a data service that can Cross multiple clouds and be globally distributed, then you know you should probably have a different conversation <laughs>
0: um, good I'm for folks having good healthy conversations with um, you know with their teams about like what are we really trying to get out of this and so that we're not just taking the easy route uh, or something that you know was the we've already been doing this route uh, so that they can start to start to identify like what they should be doing. Um, so thanks so much for for joining. Uh, great to have you, and yeah. lots of great, interesting stuff continuing to happen in the data world. Um, so talk to you next time.
1: Thanks for having us.